The thing is not how you are on your best days, how can you step up on your worst day? When everything is going terrible, when you're tired, when you're frustrated, when you're edgy, how do you treat other people? Fuck pain, fuck heartbreak. I'm still in love with life. From the multicultural headquarters of the future capital of the free-thinking states of America known as Los Angeles, this is the Drunken Dows Podcast. On this episode, Kristaps, the man behind the Eastern Border Podcast, joins us to give us an amazing frontline perspective on the war in Ukraine. Explanations of the sorry state of the Russian military the unbelievable level of corruption among Russian leaders, as well as several possible outcomes of the conflict over the next year. It is fascinating stuff, so strap on your helmet, and here we go. And now, asking you all to spread the words that corporations are not persons, I'm Rich Evers. And my partner in crime, the savage philosopher and middle finger of the gods, Daniele Bolelli. As we invite you to lower the lights, Batten down the hatches and prepare to open your mind for the Drunken Dows podcast begins now. Welcome back, everybody. Another fine episode of the Drunken Dows podcast, episode 231. It's been raining here in California. Many people not sure what that is, but we are thankful for it, even though there's been a lot of it all at once. A really cool interview today. But before that, Mr. Daniele Bellelli right across from me. Here we roll for 2023. Just like that. It's happening. We started in 2012. Jesus. It's mind-blowing. Yeah. I mean, I just looked up. I've had this tattoo for six years. Mm-hmm. How's that possible? I know. Time flies. Let's uh, let's make a few thank you fly along the way. Sweet. Let's say thank you to Sure Design that has been with us from day one pretty much. They make incredible t-shirts. Check out Sure Design t-shirts, their websites. T-shirts, pants, all sort of groovy clothing. I love them. They are based in Thailand. They make beautiful things. Go check them out. Uh, quick thank you to... Uh, I want to sh- give a shout out to Occult Herbs and Tonics against Occult Herbs and Tonics. These sweet folks have uh, sent me some of their products, which are anything from spices, herbs, things they use in the kitchen, from whether it's a rub on your steak or salad uh, dressing or stuff like that. And they are awesome. These guys are great. Tiny's, they just started small family business. Why not give them some of your business? They are nice people. Um, a quick shout out to Paloma Verde CBD. Um, if you want CBD products, use the code TAO, T-A-O, for a 20% discount at palomaverdecbd.com. Nice. Other than that, of course, if you guys uh, shop on Amazon, if you can please use our Amazon link, that's always appreciated. And now let's give a big thank you to the sweet folks who support the show. Let the pottering begin. Here we go. We have Samuele Rudelli, Ed and Carrie O, Jim D'Amico, Stephen Rados, uh, Je- uh, Joseph Lord, Chip Witten, Lane Raper, Luis Pesquera, Yanni Linnima, Jesse Rantacangas, Richard Kern, Jim Winton Porter, Adrius Giovaisa, 
I think that's your last name. If I screw it up, I apologize. <laughs> Clayton Payne, Austin Steelwell, Aaron Weisner, Stephen McKee, Daniel Fischel, Frederick Kahn, Jonathan Waterloo, Ryan Merklin, and Keegan Walsh. Very many familiar names along there from years and years. Yeah, they are awesome people. Thank you so much for supporting. If you want to join this brave band of heroes, you can use paypal.me forward slash dbolelli. Again, paypal.me forward slash the letter D and then my last name, B-O-L-E-L-L-I. Or otherwise, you can paypal directly to my email, which is bodhi1974 at yahoo.com. Again, bodhi1974 at yahoo.com. At this very moment, we are $170 away from $200,000 in loans through Kiva, thanks to our awesome listeners. So right around the corner. Despite the uh, withering uh, 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 numbers of listeners and things like that over the years, that's incredible. Fantastic. I, I can't be that. more thankful. We, I remember when we first did I was like, maybe we'll give $5,000. I know. $200,000. That's yeah. pretty awesome. You did it. All that to was, help, all to help strangers. That was all your gig from day one, and you did fantastic with it. Oh, so. It just gives me hope. Yeah. Well, there's not much available some days. Well, apparently today there is, so that's a absolutely. Good thing. So someone's going to break that, and uh, whoever it is, I'm sure we can get a Kiva church out to you somehow. So beautiful. Yeah, thanks everybody. All right, this is a great episode. Um, this is straight reports from Ukraine. The yes. guy has been there and fascinating, and the things I learned blew me away. Yeah, because you hear, uh, you know, the whole, the war, the, all the conflict, Russia, Ukraine has been so much in the news. You hear just uh, every other person on Twitter is suddenly an expert on uh, what's going on in Ukraine. And it's like, realistically, most of us don't know shit. You know, the most we get is reports we get third end from somebody who talked to somebody who has been there uh, through some weird media. Kristaps is the man. He uh, runs uh, the Eastern Border podcast, which was a great podcast to begin with. And now he's focusing heavily on uh, the conflict, as you may imagine. But uh, he has been, you know, he's immer- he li- he's originally from Latvia. He lives there. He has been not a fan of Putin for quite a while and had to pay some prices for that. So he's uh, committed to his journalistic integrity, I would say. He sure is. Willing to pay big prices. So he's the man. Check him out. Here we go, where we will largely shut up and let him talk because he knows what he's talking about as Lasso. outside um you 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 must have really nice weather now in in, in la it's, yeah it's a cruel 57 degrees right now in the morning so yeah we are bitching about the weather being like oh it's a little chilly and it's like you know we are in a i may need a jacket i have i have about about a meter and a half of snow outside my window and it's a massive <laughs> snowstorm <laughs> Yeah, basically the same, you know, California weather, Latvia, close enough, you know. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, here we go. Today we have a very special guest, 
Christophs, very welcome to the Drunken Taoist. Well, Can nice you do speaker. me a favor? I think I always find it better when people do their own intro rather than somebody trying to sum up what they do, who they are, and especially me trying to pronounce your last name is not going to go well. <laughs> so if you want to give a quick intro about uh, who you are, the Eastern Border podcast, and what you do with it, that would be cool. Hi, guys. I'm, I'm Christophs Andresans. I've been... Uh... Been listening to the show and been uh, talking with with Daniele for I don't know many years at this yep. point I think yep. Yep. I have a podcast called Eastern Border, which started out a long time ago I think it was 2016 or something, and I made a show where I try to explain to people the history of the Soviet Union mm-hmm. as I'm from Riga Latvia and and I'm a historian and I had all these studies of people who lived in the USSR. And then it kind of morphed because people asked me to talk about the news, what's happening in Russia, the Eastern European perspective on, on things. And so I did. And uh, right now, because of the war, I'm, I've been going to Ukraine and I've been doing war reporting. And I've, I've, I've been published also not only on my show, but in, in local Latvian media. And I have some articles published on Foreign Policy magazine. This has sadly put a pause to my academical achievements since my, my PhD program had to be put on pause. But... That's that's the least of my issues currently, but and and yeah. my surname, by the way, is Andreessons, which is which is there because um, after after serfdom ended in the Russian Empire, the, the people were assigned their surnames. But my ancestor there, he had married a um, a Swedish noblewoman, so he mm-hmm. technically had a Swedish surname, Anderson. But the local Russian Empire clerk didn't know how to write it and misspelled it, so it ended up with being Andreson, <laughs> which is why, yeah, there's not that many of us here, but it's literally because of a Russian clerical error. So yeah, yeah, it's funny, man. When you look at like the history, even in US, when you look at the history of all the people coming through Ellis Island and all the immigrants, like their original name or what it used to be and what it becomes when they get in rarely has any relation whatsoever it's kind of like almost that godfather scene right where it's like what's your damn name and you can't figure out it's like he's from corleone it's like okay cool that's your last name now that's your town of origin is your last name that kind of thing yeah well i think what we're gonna do today is uh, we are going to shut up a lot and we are gonna just give you the dance floor because you are clearly You know, on some topics, we can uh, play along with somebody who's the expert on it because we have enough knowledge of here, I think, is the gap in knowledge between where you're at and what you know about all this versus where we are at is so deep that I I really feel like you are the man to tell, uh, to give our listener uh, a view of what's going on in Ukraine that you know, like I wouldn't even bother trying, like my level of education on the topic is so low and barely based on what I read on a few news channels or what I hear on a few news channels that, you know, I feel that you are the man for this. So any way you want to take it and uh, imagining that, you know, realistically speaking, I doubt most people are particularly more educated than me on the topic in US. So, you know, just starting from the ground up, Everything you want to tell us on this, we are all ears. Oh, well, I'll start with the fact that um, sort of angers me because of my own audience and people who write messages to me. See, everyone um, everyone kind of went very interested about the war from the beginning mm-hmm. when it happened. But I, I think I've seen now some sort of normalcy setting in into everyone's minds. And I wonder if, if this has been the case 
historically as well, because all that we see is the press and the media that has left from that has remained from those those events. But um, I try to turn this war into people's minds in the West because Ukraine really depends on on aid from the West. I try to re- try to remind everyone that it's not just some random numbers going up or going down when when you talk about bombings and and mm-hmm. infrastructure damage and everything. I try to try to remind people that those are real people there and the suffering is is very real and, and how everything's going down. But when talking about this normalization, you see, I, I also worry about what's going to happen with um, with everyone fighting in this war after the war ends. Because, you know, I've been there on the front lines of... I think uh, a couple of times now, uh, uh, I was I was on the I was on the other side of the refugees for the fourth one, so only three times uh, by now on, on the front lines. And and when you hear the, those people who are fighting actively day to day, when you hear them talk, then you understand how how when the war ends, it's it's not going to end just in in five minutes after the bullets stop flying. It's kind of like Remark wrote in All Quiet on the Western Front, you know, even now when there's quiet periods on the front now, there's still fight going on. And it's it's really, you know, scarred them mentally to insane degrees. And of course, in, in a way, in a way, I kind of don't even know what's going to happen, you know, after this war. Maybe some other podcasters 50 years from now are going to make their their whole series about this someplace and. I really wish to, to know how future how future historians will look at these events because because yeah this has quite much being um, being so close to it and visiting it it has changed for starters my own perspective uh, when, towards war and and let's just say when I when I listen when I listen to you or to Dan about about wars in history I I kind of look at the source material differently that's that's yeah. my change of perspective. Well, what do you think the reconstruction would be like by itself? I mean, that's got to be a decade to rebuild the country if they ever get to an end of it. See, the the thing about the end is that, according to what I believe is most likely to happen, this war, sadly, can is it is beyond the point where a proper peace deal can be made. So after the reconstruction starts in Ukraine, we definitely can expect horrible things happening in Belarus because... Lukashenko's been been in power there for so long, and they had massive protests in 2020, which were violently oppressed. And I I, I saw videos where just you know th- there are women walking on the streets and protesting in Belarus, and there's just a grandmother, and and someone I think from Dodge TV Rain local channel managed to capture a vi- on, on video where one of these grandmothers on protest, she's 70 years of age, and. And she's just being blasted straight with a, with a water cannon from a firing uh, from, from from fire truck because she was on the protest and he's he's doing ruthless things. If if uh, if Putin loses in this war, then for one, I believe that Russia is not going to stay in one piece, and that's going to be a major issue. And then Belarus is also going to have an upheaval, and also other regimes which Putin has been propping up, such as Assad in Syria. We, uh, we we might have to look at a decade of violence and turmoil here mm. because I, I don't believe that there's an ending where Russia goes back to just being peaceful and democratic and then Ukraine gets to rebuild. It's sadly not going to be that easy because, for one, Putin is already scared and he's been in power for so long, you even forget his age and he's 70 now. 
and people uh, inside Russia, and I'm not talking about people who would like to see Navalny or democratic reforms in power, no, people who are very warmongering, they will take their first opportunity to just split off. Like Ramzan Kadyrov, who heads Chechnya, he, he'll be the first one to split off. And then there's going to be other regions in, in like further east, in Tatarstan, uh, where Russians are like about only 10% of the population. When, when there is no corrupt governor sent from Moscow uh, to, to do this and to provide aid against any protesters, we're going to see a time of troubles. I can't exactly tell you how it's going to play out. Obviously, it's too complex. But uh, sadly, I believe that this, this war in Ukraine is kind of the beginning of another reshaping in, in Eastern Europe. And like I said, I think it, it might it might show which regimes were propped up by, by Russian oil money because those are quite much suffering away. Uh, I, I hate to be pessimistic here, but uh, it's better to, you know, look at this realistically because this is not a video game. This is real life. And uh, such climactic events rarely tend to have very happy endings, you know, as, as they end. I, I think we're looking at the top decade here. Of course. I guess to bring everybody up to date for people who have only watched on CNN for three minutes or something, like, how would you, you know, of course we can go through a seven-hour history lesson, but like, how would you go through a summary of what led us to this point? Like, if somebody was to ask, if somebody doesn't know anything at all on the topic and it's say, what's the origin of it all? How did, how did this whole thing start? Ah, oh, this is this is interesting because we have new evidence that has. It is more more banal than you think. You see, mm -hmm. uh, during COVID pandemic, because Putin is very paranoid. He's a very paranoid man, just like his idol Stalin. So Putin mm -hmm. avoided going out in public for a long period of time. He basically locked himself inside a bunker with his closest aides. And for example, if journalists wanted to go to Putin, they had to wait and sit in quarantine for two weeks, which involved wow, wow. not 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 having any. Any, any, all the food had to be delivered to them. He was super paranoid. But he managed to basically get himself locked in with, with uh, people. And I think they went a bit crazy because we have now a reconstruction of speeches about how COVID is making Putin feel bad and how, you know, he was popular when they annexed Crimea and that they should pull something off like this again. And there's a people in his entourage who are just saying, yeah, yeah, it's going to be fine. You know, they're going to surrender. We have these reports. And then Putin just asked his FSB agents to bring him reports about what's going to happen when he invades Ukraine. And no one on the FSB thought it would be serious. You know, uh, as they reported themselves, it was kind of like, you know, being asked of what will we do if uh, aliens land tomorrow or a meteorite crashes. So they just basically wrote it off and gave it to Putin. And Putin looked at this and was like, oh, so they report that, you know, no bloodshed. We're just going to take it in three days. It's going to be a massive victory. And then we're just going to take it. And then the, what, the, what the West are going to do about it, you know, not like they're going to invade us and anything so yeah let's do this and then uh, as the war started if, if you remember the very early okay. early videos about putin and his age, everyone, even the members of his own security council weren't informed of this and if you look at the videos and here he announces this to his other surrounding people everyone looks scared and and no one knows what's up so of course they came up with all the other uh, all the other stuff you know the the usual nato expansion which is very, very weird because because of this war that NATO is going to be in Sweden and Finland now. It's quite the opposite from what yep, he wanted yep. to achieve. Uh, it did just and, and Russia just saying that, you know, uh, th this kind of ruined this whole idea. A lot of people have been saying that it is because of NATO expansion. 
well, NATO expansion happened because of Russia, you know, NATO and all these military expenses. We're a small country, okay? Those 2% of GDP that we spend on our military, and now even more, could be better spent investing in education, in, in repairing our roads. It's not like it's free. Yes, United States spend a lot of money for it, but we also do it, and it's an investment, and if Russia would be democratic and nice and friendly right next to us, and we wouldn't have to spend everything and spend this money on military, hey, we'd be much happier. And secondly, as soon as Putin publicly stated that, oh, no, it's okay if Sweden and Finland join NATO, it, it doesn't bother us, they can do what they want. You know, how can anyone take the, the reason of, of invading Ukraine because of NATO expansion seriously? It just makes no sense because right. it's it just, just silly. They, they have to they have to fake it to, to make it look more natural. But I think the, the person that you should maybe Google uh, if you want to understand what's the Putin's biggest worldview is uh, one Alexander Dugin. Uh, his daughter was blown up uh, in an assassination attempt uh, against him. Yep. But it was a mistake. No. And, and his articles explain Putin's mindset like perfectly. It's mm. it's kind of like he's read Dugin and he really believes this whole stuff about uh, the third Rome and greater Russia and all that whatnot. And he wants to do that. And he wants to go down in, in history books as some sort of another great unifier misunderstanding that, you know, it's it's no longer 19th century. We, we we no longer live in a world with colonial empires, and 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 it's not the size of your country that matters uh, at, at all. It's just I think he still lives in that that area because I, for for one, I know that Putin does not use internet. He literally receives a red binder each morning from his special services where there are news concerning the president and he, he might be interested in. He literally reads the internet in a red binder given to him every morning. So for real, for real. that's wow. that's yeah. very old school. Wow, <laughs> that is insane. That's that I didn't know. That's completely insane. I would imagine after these folks uh, gave him the wrong intel, how many heads have been placed on pikes since then from the people who provided him the intel that led to oh, um, the mess that he got himself in. And do you think his red box had like really bad information on the, the status of his military as well? Yes, and uh, absolute, an absolute encouraged corruption in the military because the corruption there goes through levels. I'll, I'll get to corruption lately, but uh, about the heads, uh, yeah, all, all of the FSB Department 5 was reconstructed completely. Everyone was fired. It was a, obviously it didn't happen in public, but you know, sure. I, uh, but, but it happened because there were, some, there were some big figures that were fired. And also, it's not the heads on pikes anymore. The, the current favorite, favorite thing is accidentally fell out of a window. You know, oh, yeah. <laughs> we, uh, of course. We, we, I had an interview. Uh, we, we spoke with, uh, with, with Alex from, Hist uh, from History Impossible podcast. And, and, and at that point, we already started talking about government by assassination. And since, since that talk, I think it was like five or six more. Uh, the current number of people who have accidentally who have accidentally slipped uh, towards an open window is like what 13 or 14 at this point wow. bad luck wow <laughs> man those open windows are scary yeah i mean and, one, and i think i think one of them the funniest was uh, there was one of these uh, oil industry people uh, from Luke Oil who was really hit hard by sanctions so he had posted something against the war or something and Ooh. then Putin decided that that's 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 not gonna work, comrade. And and they uh, managed to get this guy while he was in a hospital. 
and apparently he was just there to get some sort of surgery. And the official version version was that he got depressed after the surgery, so he voluntarily, you know, suicided himself by falling out of the window just after having a life-saving surgery, because that's what you do. Of course. Of course, that's typically, yeah. First you have the surgery and then you jump. That's how it works. Yeah, but about corruption, wow. it's, an wow. important, it's an important thing to explain this to, to Westerners, which, mm-hmm. uh, which, which is, um, it works differently than, than graft in the United States. And uh, of course, the United States only has graft allegedly and, and Lockheed Martin aren't profiting off of this war massively. In, in no way possible that could ever happen. Uh, but but in, on Russia, that, that takes a whole whole different level because the, the whole system of corruption has gone so deep uh, that, that that it's really hard to even even comprehend it see um in russian there are two words for lying one of them is loz which means just you know not true and the other one is vranyo and vranyo is the situation when i know i'm bullshitting you know i, I you know i'm bullshitting but i do it anyways because that's how we're doing things here <laughs> uh, because because reporting is much more important than than the reality because everyone gets in trouble because everyone you know everyone is guilty by association and everyone knows yeah, this yeah. because putin has only put corrupt people in power just so they stay loyal because as soon as they're not loyal he can you know just easily point at all the things they've stolen and just uh, accidentally fall them fall fall make them fall out of window right but, but the situation is like it's it's from the top generals who basically they are incentivized to report that their units are winning and in full condition all the time because they still receive funding as though they were in full all the time. Right. And equipment is also, you know, your your unit is supposed to have, say, 10 tanks, but on the black market, someone will pay really nice for those technologies on nine of them. But that's okay. You only need one on parade and you can just rip electronics out of the other ones. Wow. And and then you have innovation programs, for wow. example, where Russian army needs to have like Russian Russians presented a new body armor. Uh, out of that, only one was built because you know the company that the company that uh, researches this body armor actually does some good research and they make the body armor. Then that goes to the general, but general figures out that hey, you know what? If we on paper buy this armor, but in fact equip everyone with much cheaper set of armor, then I can pocket the, the remainder. Of and course, the, of course. But then it goes even deeper, deeper level, because the company who gets the order, they get a kickback and they decide, hey, if they're going to equip our cheapest crap models anyways, and, and they're not going to want the new models, they, they paid us a kickback. Why even produce the armor? We're just going to give them the cheaper models instantly and produce one or two, one or two armors for, for the show and just write everything up in papers. And this goes bottom up wow. as well because of all the reporting. Imagine this: you're a squad of you're a squad of Russian mobilized troops who, uh, because of terrible intelligence, because nobody cared, are are sent to assault a, a fortified city. But you've been told it's going to be super easy to take it. You go in there, you have massive firefights, you lose half of your squad, you you hunker down with the remaining guys. Morale is low, everything is terrible. But you know you have a commander, and he has to report upstairs, or you know that that yeah. what's happened. Of course, he will not write that, you know, everything went to crap and you lost half your men and that they're now drinking, drinking looted vodka. You're going to report that uh, the enemy, the, the enemy uh, was was strong, was tougher than we imagined. We put on a hard fight. We, we killed off like uh, 50 of their men, took out three machine gun posts. But sadly, we had to retreat. But, uh, you know, we, we caused a lot of damage to the enemy. Our losses are minimal. Morale is high. Life is good. Now, such information comes in from, and this is happening literally in Bakhmut as we speak. Then uh, from, from those, like the 10 squads of these, each report this to their, their commander. The commander who's sitting in the office thinks, 
Well, because of Russia, because of how Russian war doctrine is, is done, they send reinforcements to the squads that are winning to press the advantage. They do not reinforce losing squads. They attack in waves. So their doctrine is like he's looking at these reports and saying, oh, well, so this is the direction. If we could only just assign a little bit more forces to that and, and maybe soften their weaknesses, it's going to go easy. So he calls the air support in. But air support understands that Ukraine now has anti-air defenses and decides, well, you know, it's pretty hard to fly in close and, and aim at things. So what we're going to do is we're just going to fly and just, you know, drop some blindsided bombs in the city. They'll hit civilians, but no one will care. We'll just write in our reports that, you know, uh, their air defenses are down, their bunkers have been damaged. It's okay. We get medals, promotions, everything's good. <laughs> then the upper commander, you know, he has all this information. He knows that soldiers are, you know, almost in full condition. They reported having very little losses. And he just sends those nice men uh, in assault once again. They uh, maybe move it, move to move like a couple of, a couple of, you know, may, maybe, maybe half a mile if they're lucky. And then they retreat. And then the cycle repeats itself. And Russia is slowly advancing. On, and you can see this in where, they, where they're slowly advancing in, in Bakhmut like this for uh, almost a year now. That's why they, their losses are, are so damn high. And the losses on the Ukrainian side are so high because, you know, at one point you do get tired because the, you are numerically inferior than your enemy, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and there is only so much how you can like go out without not sleeping. And, and I've seen people who've been like wounded and then they came back to the war and they got wounded again. They still come back because... One thing that I can say about Ukrainians, they, they do not have to be um, they do not have to be forced to go and fight for their country. They they really they really do, and morale is, is high, but obviously tiredness sets in. And uh that's again that's one of the sad parts because I know that as soon as those guys stop thinking about moving forward, they're gonna sit down and, and they're gonna need some therapy or ridiculous amounts of alcohol to get through this. But yeah, yeah that, that, that was a very short lesson on corruption in the Russian army, and, and this happens like everywhere all the time so i guess my question is i mean the corruption makes perfect sense the way you explain it uh but the time though you get to the putin kind of level where he's like i keep hearing all these news are great except then i look at the map and we're still in the same shit spot we have been for the last whatever many months I would imagine he knows what's up. I would imagine he understands that what's being reported upstairs is not the same as what's actually happening. Not really. Really. He's just delusional, like he just keeps... He's, he's A, also delusional, and B, he's also being told that actually it's uh, secret NATO units that are helping Ukrainians. If it was just Ukrainians, we would destroy them in one instant. But it's actually evil, evil NATO who is just not only supplying them, but uh, there was like massive news on television and HIMARS appeared that uh, HIMARS are so effective and that Ukrainians can't operate them. It must be evil Americans, uh, secret American mercenary teams from NATO uh, who are uh, just operating them as well. You know, you can find an excuse to not blame yourself or blame anyone for all the failures. Because I would imagine, you know, that's the corruption game is a slightly dangerous game where one of the people you are screwing over is somebody like Putin. And, you know, we know that he's not exactly the merciful kind in dealing with uh, people who cross him the wrong way. So it seemed like that's playing a really dangerous game on these guys' parts. Yeah, but, but also remember the fact that if you lie long enough, and, and if you are very vocal about it, like Putin, Putin's been doing, then you start to believe it at one point, especially since because right. of his paranoia. See, back in, everyone remembers Putin's first uh, first time in office, you know, his first years from 2000 yeah. to 2008. And, and everyone is asking, well, what happened? You know, because he seemed to be a person with whom 
the West could deal with. He wasn't like all crazy and everything. Right. And and I remember when 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 uh, when the Kursk disaster happened as one of the first things when he became president, everyone and the West actually helped him and and tried to tried to work with with Russia. Mm-hmm. And I can can tell you what happened. His his. Uh, because back then he didn't have total control over the mass media and and his own surroundings yet there were still people around who could say no to him who could actually say well this is going to be a mistake and everything but as as time went on and as he managed to cheat cheat re-elections and 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 this and as, as managed to basically pull off his own propaganda he replaced all the capable people around him with people who are just loyal to him and very like they can't say anything to him. I mean, if you look at Dmitry Medvedev, his closest advisor, th- then then basically by now he's a guy who's obsessed with 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 nice shoes and and who's a chronic alcoholic. Okay, right. and, and his defense minister Shoigu, uh, together with Putin, they go out camping in Taiga and drink and do shamanistic rituals by drinking deer blood from 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 just uh, from just uh, bone cups because of uh, shamanistic rituals. He's bought into the weirdest, craziest worldview by himself right now, because again, I believe that uh, part of this is just because how long he's in power. I mean, yeah. if you, uh, the, the most. The, the most striking thing about why not to go into politics was, for example, for me, the pictures of, of Obama when he was elected and Obama when he left office. You know, there are two yeah, different yeah. people. <laughs> yeah, 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 and, yeah. And imagine that, except, you know, you're Putin. You have to manually control everything. You're, you know that you're, your underlings are corrupt, but you, you only place them because of loyalty. They're dumb, too. So And also you have to undertake a lot of uh, kind of beauty operations, plastic surgery, because he's 70. Look at how Putin looks like yeah. now in pictures. Uh, he has a ton of plastic surgeries because he built this macho man image of himself, of you know, course. riding a horse, riding a horse with uh, with a naked top and and, and diving for uh, <laughs> diving for amphoras and and shooting a tiger, uh, I think. And, and that tiger story, by the way, is way more depressing because the local authorities had to grab an old tiger from a circus and just put it in the forest to, for Putin to shoot, basically. In that of story. course, and that's of stupid. Course. But he's built this image, and yeah. And so he has to go on, and I, I, I don't really, th- I don't really think we, we should. I don't really think that that his his mind is in the right place, and especially since he uh, he lives by the the laws of the organized crime of Russia, the Panyatiya, you know, the the Bratva laws, uh, because he. Uh, you know, he that's part of being macho in Russia, and secondly, he has all these ties in organized crime, and and he has to live by their laws, which means that. Uh, obviously, uh, making an honest business deal is a sort of taboo for him. In all the deals that he think he views everyone as like the the, the lame target and and the people who uh-huh. are scamming everything. So he lives by an alien mindset. He's been a bit old and and he's like super stressed out and tired. Of course, he does weird things. Now, one wow. thing though that he won't do, which I firmly believe he won't do, is that. I do believe that he will not use nuclear weapons. I think we are mm-hmm. we're safe from that. Why do you think that is? Yeah, that was my question because with the Patriot missiles going over recently, that's sort of the big news around here for the past week. That does seem like ratcheting it up a bit. See, if you if you look at the things how Putin has operated throughout the years, what did he say before invading Ukraine? That he would never invade Ukraine, nowhere, in no way. He denied it up until the last moment. He has denied so he denied that he sent in, in, like people into Crimea before he annexed it. He denies everything because that's part of this, this culture of, of the prison culture that he lives by. And if he blatantly and openly threatens you with nukes, that means he's probably not going to launch them. 
if he would be, I, I would be, I would start worrying <laughs> if he would be saying in this war that, that we are not going to use nuclear weapons in any, in any capacity. And that might seem funny to you, but I think that's how he operates. And secondly, because of his own propaganda, you know, he uh-huh. has portrayed Ukraine as Russians, but, you know, brainwashed by the West. So mm. in his propaganda, he constantly portrays Ukraine as part of Russia. Right. And Ukrainians fighting against them are like actually brainwashed by the West. So if he nukes Ukraine, it's kind of like nuking your own country in a way, because he portrays this in his war as this defensive measure against the evil West. And, and I think then if he nukes his own country, then he gets he gets massive opposition from the from the warmongering right. Yeah, because I watch those people who support the war in Russia. I follow them closely and all of them say that if Russian government uses nukes, it's because the West forced them to since uh, that's unthinkable. If, if Putin uses nukes, he doesn't worry about retaliation from the West. He worries because c- that's the one point where the warmongering types, the ultra far right of Russia, then they'll come together and, and they are full, like and he's stuck like his secret service full of such people. Then they'll come and shoot him for betraying Russian interests, basically for betraying true Russia. I see, I see, I see. Wow, that's um, that's wild. And it's in some ways, uh, it's kind of the way I feel about the world in general, that the scary feeling that you don't have just these genius super villain out there who, are, who know it all, who pull all the threads, who figure everything out. You have a bunch of people who can barely connect with reality running the show, And, of course, they are powerful in some way, but they are powerful in a chaotic, uh, not very logical, half-assed kind of way, often inefficient and dumb. So dangerous, but not because they are evil geniuses, dangerous in a more pathetic kind of way, which doesn't make them any less dangerous, if anything, possibly even more, because it's not as well calculated, but... Wow. See, everyone portrays Putin as master strategist, but that is what he's not. He's really mm-hmm. good at tactical problems. He's a very good short-term problem solver. Because when he was picked as Yeltsin's successor, which happened in 1999, uh, wow. originally it was Boris Nemtsov who later was assassinated by Putin, uh, who, was, who was supposed to be the next candidate who would bring democracy to Russia and everything. But because of all the bankruptcy of Russia that happened in 1998, Putin was chosen because... He was ex-KGB. He had worked with the mayor of St. Petersburg for a long time, and he had managed to kind of get organized crime in control by working together with the organized crime, by the way, because mm-hmm. he, he was one of the he got rich by uh, selling Western humanitarian aid in the black market. By the way, that's how Putin got his money. Um, <laughs> wow. And so Putin was chosen because he had no ambitions. He was very he was a very, very good a clerk, basically a very good organizer of, of these smaller actions and kind of a micromanager. And yeah. then, you know, if you and then he kind of grew into this thing and and he's always been feeling kind of he, he always this is why he kind of acts like he has to prove something to the rest of the world, because like all such people, uh, he also, you know, back then at least had a lot of insecurities about himself, mm-hmm. none of them. And then when he managed to get this power, then he possibly decided to, hey, let's let's run with it. Let's just let's just make this happen. I think the obsession with the fact that for some reason Putin has to be kept in power and Russia must be appeased, which has happened from many leaders. I really don't understand why Why would you want to keep a person as unpredictable as Putin who literally has just stomped all, stomped all over like 95% of all of his agreements. I think, I think he's kept like 
couple of agreements in place that he has signed and only those with like Venezuela or North Korea, maybe. Right. But like, why, why would you want to keep such a dangerous man in, in power? Uh, I don't know. Well, maybe corruption, because again, when this war ha- when this war started, we managed to find out how exactly, for example, German leadership had tied themselves to Gazprom and the whole gas pipeline and how dependent they were because, you know, Gerhard Schröder, the ex-chancellor of Germany, sitting on the council of Gazprom, receiving that good dosh of that gas money. Mm. Yeah. How, could, how could that be? <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Obviously, that only happens in the EU. And uh, as, as far as I'm concerned, the United States are the least corrupt place on the planet. And you have like zero corruption issues, obviously, right? Zero. Yeah. I, wow. Not a single one. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, ladies and gentlemen, one quick thing I want to throw out there. We have a partnership with magicmind.co. These guys make a product that I've personally tried, work like a charm. I'm inviting you to give it a thought if this is something that could help you. The problem that Magic Mind tackles is really simple to explain. The feeling when there are 24 hours in a day, there are several more to go before it's time to call it a day and you feel foggy and tired and sluggish. And that's when normally you start down in about two gallons pot of coffee. That's one way to go about it. There are, I think, better ways. And this may be at least worth an experiment for you to see if this is, uh, is as good as advertised so you don't have to take my word for it. I've tried it for quite a few days in a row before recording this. And you, I mean, I felt it on day one. They say wait until day three, day four, until that's when the effects really start kicking in. I felt it on day one, like within minutes of taking it, you definitely get this moment of alertness where things seem clearer, sharper, words come faster, that kind of feeling. I had, uh, out of curiosity, because I was like, okay, that's working for me, but who knows? I had my mom try because she was recently complaining of saying, hey, man, I don't like this. I'm getting older and I'm noticing in, uh, I'm forgetting things, uh, I'm losing words here and there. And she was a fan. She's actually... the. The main reason why we have this established partnership with Magic Mind right now is because she's like, give me my next dose. Where is it? <laughs> so clearly worked. So that's the good news. So what is in this magical, mystical compound? We got a lot of stuff and I'm uh, not going to read you the whole thing, but anything from matcha to ashwagandha or however you pronounce it or lion's mane mushrooms cordyceps mushrooms is this natural mental boosting ingredients that should do the trick for you my suggestion is if this fits your needs try it out the website is www.magicmind.co so not com just co forward slash taoist with the T. Magicmind.co forward slash Taoist will automatically get your discount going. And uh, check it out. And if you guys do, I would love to hear what you think.
What do you think? Uh, what's your forecast? What do you think? Because I mean, like, you trace well why the whole story of just NATO expansion and the whole notion of support for Russian minority within Ukraine is bullshit. What do you think happens from here forward? What are the possible uh, the possible outcomes? Okay, there are uh, there are two in my opinion. Okay, one is. Uh... Russia can't can't attack right now because of of the winter. That's why they're bombing the infrastructure things, because all the winter equipment and clothing once again is totally non-existent. The the <laughs> the, the reports about like the, the mobilization and the reports of under-equipped mobilized people who are told to basically buy their own equipment is just insane. Uh, and another yeah. thing is like they're told to buy their own stuff, so they buy their own body armor. Then they go to the construction center where they where nice men from the center tell them that their body armor is not adequate to the standards. Take it off from them, sell it off to the black market where the next conscript buys it, and so the cycle repeats. Uh, wow, that's amazing. And they are under equipped, and and the, they are getting apathetic, so they can't attack. But as the ground is cold, well, um, it could end in in three ways. One way is uh, if when the ground really froze, freezes up in January, February, then if there is a massive push by Ukraine and they get lucky and break the front lines, then we could see a massive, massive pushback just like happened in Kharkiv. That's the very optimistic variant, which I give about like 10% chance of actually happening. Mm -hmm. Then, because Ukraine also has their own issues and everything, then there's the long slog because Russia still has a lot of manpower and they have a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff has been stolen, but you know, if you if you steal if you steal eighty percent of a ridiculous stockpile left from the Soviet era, you still end up with a lot of weapons remaining. And there there are those fanatics, those pro-war guys who are literally forming their own battalions and like Wagner Group and uh, who are taking their own power and they're doing their own executions and ignoring the power structures. And they really, you know, they, they the Wagner Group, for example, released a video where they executed a deserter by smashing his head in with a sledgehammer. So, well, so everyone else would be afraid. Uh, yeah, without court, obviously, because no one cares. A court, of course, don't work in that area. So there could be a massive slog. Again, this depends if West gives enough weapons or if they too, too if they're too afraid. You know, if if West. You know, if, if the West decides that, yeah, you know, we can't give enough weapons to Ukraine or something bad happens, 80% there's going to be a slog and we're, we're looking at all this stuff going through, I guess, for uh, until the end of the next year. End of the next year is the last, is, is kind of the, the, the furthest that I can see this happening because at that point, Russian economy will start to feel all the sanctions, their gold reserves, which they have been aggressively using to pump up their economy. Will will finally run out, and uh, they will, they already are running out of uh, microchips and various electronics, which make which basically means that by now Russia already cannot reproduce the rockets that they used at the beginning of the war. The Iskander rockets they're gone because they don't they have they lack the Western components used to build them. Now they have to rely on far less um, far less precise uh, and dangerous Tochka U rockets. That's going to leave a bad mess, but that's that's kind of 80% that this is going to go for another year and it's going to be a brutal slog. But this ends another year, not because there's some crushing in the slog case scenario, not because of military defeat, but because of the thing that all the pro-war guys fear the most, the fact that eventually there's going to be some sort of, some sort of repeat of 1917. You know, at the, at the, at the end of World War I, there were uh, bread shortages, there, was, uh, the, the, there were like... Uh, a dry law, vodka was prohibited too, which also might happen. Mobilization also angers people. 
it just might break. And uh, there's a saying that Russian, Russian, um, Russian revolts are brutal and meaningless. So that's that's the idea that um, that this could happen. Final version is another scenario where uh, at one point I don't know Ramzan Kadyrov goes crazy and shoots Putin or something, or mm-hmm. or someone else shoots Putin. I give that about. Also, ten percent chances. But from what I've seen, from my position, it really seems that it is either a decisive push at this point, where all the mobilized have not yet arrived. Once the ground gets okay for tanks to drive, if Ukraine pushes them and creates some sort of decisive push, it could be over quickly. But more likely, it's going to be a brutal slog with with Russia doing everything they can to not lose as much as they can. And Ukraine, you know, also they're getting tired because if you look at their numbers of artillery and tanks, well, remember that half of them are not in the field. They're being rotated and, and they're being sent to repairs for repairs to, to Poland and Slova- Slovenia and all those other countries. So, yeah, they uh, they have to grind through a lot. Mm-hmm. It, it, it really looks like what it seems to me as a historian is that Modern warfare has come back about hundred and something years ago. These are not the massive, decisive, quick movements of World War II. They're no longer possible if you have man pads that can just blow up a tank. Reckless yep. driving forward with tanks are, is not possible. What we're looking at is trench warfare, except uh, except except you have drones, which drones and precise artillery and missile fire. So yeah, that's the thing. Also, wow, missile, wow. Fire, missile <laughs> fire is, is weird. I mean, uh, yeah. when, when, I, when I got my first uh, near explosion by rocket artillery, that, that was quite, quite weird. But, you know, I have to tell you, and this is, this is a thing that I'm, I'm thankful to your show. I quickly understood that the human mind can adapt to everything. First, <laughs> night, I was really, first night, I was really scared because I was in, um, I was in Mikolaev, uh, really close to the front lines. It's a yep. city, a yep. couple of... A couple of like, 30 kilometers from Kherson, like staying there. First night when the when, when missiles just struck near us, uh, like all the in the ground, the building was shaking, everything. I had this very clunchy feeling in my stomach. I truly was afraid. During the fourth night, I was already okay. We can't go to sleep until 2 a.m. They have to like bomb something, and uh, they will go to sleep. I can I'll, I'll record before that because you know it's like clockwork. Yeah. From 1 yeah. a.m. to 2 a.m. They'll just bomb something. And, 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 and everyone has gotten so used to this because when I spoke to the governor of Mikolaev region, who's a great guy, by the way, he has a YouTube channel and he's half Korean because uh-huh. he came, came from a Korean family. And he said that it's gone to the point where people have gone, gotten so used to air raid alarms and rocket strikes that children don't even stop their, their, their plays, their games in the playground to go home for them or run anywhere. Because, uh-huh. uh, yeah, people just... just at the beginning of the war, everyone was terrified and scared. Right now, again, it's a massive thing that the brain can do to you. And it's not normal and not healthy. But once you're there, it's kind of like weird because I went there. I went there uh, and, and like I had I had I had guys who did, did some filming with me last time I went and it was and I just noticed that whereas I'm super calm by, right, by, by now on the, the checkpoints and everything. You know, it's kind of hard to, to deal with your team when your team is kind of shaking and afraid during the night with because of random explosions and checkpoints. I'm like, okay, what's the worst that could happen? We'll just get, you know, blown up and that's going to be quick and painless. So that's okay. <laughs> right. No, but that's the good thing because, because again, I, um, I also, I also, one thing that, um, that really matters, which I'm going to, by the way, do in my next episode is that uh, Ukrainians really need, uh, Ukrainians really need some good body armor because you, you die mm-hmm. from shrapnel. 
Uh, bullets, right. bullets don't fly close enough in this world actually hurt you that much. Uh, the leading cause of death is shrapnel fire. Yeah. And, okay. and I spoke with a guy who had been wounded in the war and was in the hospital, but not because of direct fire, because a grenade uh, exploded near his squad and the shrapnel that had bounced off of his body's body armor because he had steel plates in it, not ceramic plates, wounded yeah. him and took him out. So, yeah, those things matter. Yep, yep, yep. No, that's... Uh... Wow. wow. Yeah, yeah, you paint a scenario, scenario that's, that's truly, truly terrifying, terrifying in lots, in lots of ways. ways. Dude, also, one thing that might interest you, I spoke with an MMA fighter there, uh, an ex-MMA fighter, ex-Marine there. I have an interview uh-huh. on my show uh, when, when I was from there. His name was Craig, and, and he did a lot of... And he said that, you know, after the Marines, he got into, got into uh, MMA and trained. And when this whole thing happened, he and his buddies from, from his training facility, they just all went up and there's like five guys of them from, from Tennessee uh, just just now now doing uh, scouting, scouting over there in Ukraine. Yeah, I've heard uh, there's even like where we're at in Ohio, there's a couple of guys who left and this is a tiny community. This is like maybe 10,000 people around here. There are two different guys who left and are currently in Ukraine fighting. Like I saw a guy I know out here show me the picture of his brother who was there with anti-tank unit taking, trying to deal with Russian tanks. And I was like, wow, that's, uh, yeah, this is truly a war that while on some level it may look like a regional conflict, the implications are felt everywhere. And and the biggest problem that those guys are facing, by the way, which they told me is that uh... Because because these this foreign legion had to be created so quickly, they had a lot of organizational problems. Yeah. For yeah. example, they still have to coordinate with the Ukrainian army, and in the Ukrainian army, the level of English that they speak is also quite low. So right. they have they have to have special guys who translate everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, no, and it's very weird, sense. but it is it is felt everywhere. But they also kind of understand those people because, as they told me, what else are you going to do? I mean, this is one of those conflicts where, you know. If, if you go and uh, I was told that if you go and, and fought in, I don't know, Iraq or Afghanistan, and then there were no mass weapons, then those people kind of felt like, you know, why, why, why are we here and fighting? In sure, Ukraine, sure. in Ukraine, a lot of these people who are also veterans of those wars, well, they told me openly that they're there because at home they have PTSD and they felt kind of useless. And now, you know, this is a war where they can where they can see that what is right and what is wrong. And they also kind yeah. of, yeah. In, a, in a weird way, they deal with their own troubles this way. Well, I guess then do tell about the, because as you say, for some people, this is very clear, right? There's a clear aggressive invasion by Russia. There's, so on the other end, then you look at some consistent percentage of the population in US, but not only in US, even in parts of Europe, where seem to be in a love affair with Putin. What do you make of that? What do you think of the, the seeming, fairly high level of support that some guy like Putin seems to enjoy. Well, in Europe, I can explain this because of, of the money involved, because Putin mm-hmm. has funded a lot of organizations, you know, Russian culture centers, all that stuff. And Russian television is there. He has paid off a ton of politicians who are in his pocket. In Europe, it's more or less explainable because, for example, Marie Le Pen, totally in Putin's pocket, 100 percent. Right. Uh, and this is, by the way, an interesting thing because when Italy got their new pre- got their new uh, prime minister, uh, this yep. lady whose name I don't recall, everyone was worried that she's going to support Putin a lot, but but she's not. Actually, her party members who are pro Putin are stunned because she's really pro Ukraine. 
which right. is great and surprising, but great. Yeah. In the United States, I think it's because of the contrarian culture in a way, you know, mm-hmm. uh, because of this divide that you have in your country. Again, I, I can't be authoritative on this, but as I see it from, from the sidelines, there is a certain part of the population who don't kind of don't like where, where your culture is going, I suppose. So th- this th- this is why they voted for Trump, for example. Uh, they don't see Trump. They, they don't even possibly care about Trump's political views. They just wanted to be contrarian, to break this thing, to be edgy and stuff like that. So right now they're just looking at Putin because, you know, th- these people maybe feel, feel misunderstood. They live in some sort of alternative reality because they believe very fundamentally different facts from from the rest of us. I really think it's a lot. A lot of this has to be in being contrarian to, your, to the government. And sure, I, I all the governments make mistakes and are a bunch of assholes. I, I mine as well. Okay, sure. but uh, but yeah, I I can't really say I understand those people a lot because I I can I I, I abandoned Russia. I have been there a couple of times before that. I, I I literally watch what Russian news are saying about America, and they are calling for extermination of all Americans and calling you the scum of the earth constantly. And and in primetime news stating that if all Americans would die tomorrow, that would be a great news for for Russia. And, and then to see America, then to see Americans supporting Putin. After yeah. his official official ideology is that America is a is a place of scum and villainy to the highest order, where uh, where you apparently have like where you apparently have banned marriage and and are godless heathens who sacrifice babies to Satan, and that's yeah. not an exaggeration. That's a literal quote. Okay, only on Wednesday. So why right. would those people do that? I honestly don't know. Well, because I think in some way, some of these people say the exact same thing, except that they apply to the other 50% of the American population. It's like, yeah, that America is exactly like Putin says. But of course, Putin would uh, be down with us who are real men and support traditional values kind of thing. Yeah, but the problem with traditional values is that you, people don't understand how traditional those values are. I right. just tweeted about this, by the way. I'm just going to find my tweet here because... Uh, Remember I, I mentioned Dugin, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Dugin yeah. is the guy, the chief ideologist of Putinism, basically. Yeah. And he tweeted yesterday, quote, I'll, 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 this is going to be a bit uh, rough because I'm translating straight from Russian. Sure. Mm. Yeah. To solve the demographical problem of Russia in one swoop strike, we need to quickly just move from modernism to traditionalism and everything. People, uh, cities will be immediately uh, dismantled and on the earth, uh, and the earth will be inhabited by uh, tough Orthodox families with a ton of kids. Uh, divorces, not oh. n- divorces, not even talking about abortions, will be prohibited. There, there, there will be no such thing. You can't, and that's all. You married? Well, then be kind enough and, and live like that until your death. You had to think earlier uh, about uh, if if you, if you are if you are committing adultery, uh, you you you'll get hanged. If you if you are stealing, you'll get burnt at the stake. If you um, if you say something bad uh, about the czar, eternal katorga, eternal gulag, basically. Right. And 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 only the quiet uh, singing of of uh, birds will uh, will just uh, you know raise over the holy Russia, and and will and they there will be eternal glory for everyone. There will be a restored Orthodox monastery with black arrows of monastic monastic police who look at everyone uh, and that basically do something wrong. And then he goes into some poetry over there. 
and basically that you you need a czar in this as well, so that everyone would be happy and peaceful, brave and happy. For this, you need a czar. Okay, this is the traditionalism they believe in. Well, and that's, I think, the scary part about this is that I think if you just repackage the message for adapting to American culture just a tiny bit, I think you would easily get a big chunk of the U.S. population to say, that sounds great. That's exactly what we want. American Al-Qaeda. Which is odd in so many ways. I don't that... know. I, I've all, see, see, that's the thing here. We, in, in at least Eastern Europe, in the Baltics, we have a different, we have a weird look at America. Okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, for one, uh, there, there, are only, uh, there are only two places in America, New York and Texas, and everything outside of New York is Texas. Okay. Right. Um, <laughs> secondly, we really liked Republicans for a long, long, long period of time because of Ronald Reagan. We we because we obviously didn't know what he did internally. It was like Soviet Union told Soviet Union told us he was the devil and the craziest evilest motherfucker around. He must be a great guy. Of course, of course, <laughs> enemy of my enemy. That was the thing. So when the Soviet Union collapsed, we were like really happy about America. We are. I, I'm really surprised that like the Baltic states, for one, is one of the very few pro one one of the very few times where America's projects of exporting democracy has actually worked. We're right. part of NATO now. We are a democracy. Like, yeah. th- this is happening. Like, nobody seemed to care about this. But this actually changed since Trump was elected. It was kind of weird because we were, and we still are, by the way, where America is still, um, we had a polling about the friendliest nations that we consider really great. And America was in top five. It used to be like in top three. Because, and that was because, again, Trump stated that uh, you guys didn't, don't pay your NATO dues. He was quite stupid in this because the Baltics, as we are next to Russia, are one of the very few countries who actually do pay our NATO dues with great <laughs> <Of course. laughs> Some sort of other countries like Denmark who are further away, right. they take it like more lighthearted. But no, 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 we, yeah. we are 100% on board. So, so over here, you know, we've always thought that the traditional Republican was like more Ronald Reagan oriented with like, you know, wearing cowboy boots, but being strong about democracy and all that whatnot. Yeah. So you saying that a lot of people in America would support this, this accepted package for Americans, it, it actually boggles my mind. I kind of don't understand it. It goes kind of against my worldview because I thought you guys were all for like America and liberty and all that stuff. But this <laughs> is against this, right? Yeah, definitely. That's why, in fact, uh, you know, there are those words that at the end of the day don't mean anything because it's like whatever anybody want them to mean, which is, you know, it's kind of like using words like freedom, which sound cool on the surface because who the hell would say, no, I'm pro-slavery and tyranny. But the reality is that the definition of freedom that people apply is so radically different that it, it tends to stop meaning anything. So, you know, the, you look at the actions, you look at what people want, what they want to ban, what they want to... That worldview that you painted is something that a ton of people would support. Feel yeah. like, yes, that would bring us back in touch with our roots, with tough, uh, God-fearing people who are in a strong family unit, and that's the only thing that counts. And you're like, you know, and it's a reaction against uh, some of the stuff that they don't like about the culture today. And uh, which, again, you can make arguments about so why some aspects of the culture today are highly problematic. You're going to have no argument from me there. But from there, it becomes uh, the enemy of my enemy, right? So if this is what's the opposite of modernity is this stuff. So we love it then. And uh, and you end up with this kind of stupidity. Now, clearly not everybody's that dumb, even though 
a consistent number of people definitely fit the bill. But like, for example, when you talk to people who are smarter than this, but yet they are clearly at odds with your view on Ukraine and where it's at with the Soviet, with, uh, you know, what used to be the Soviet Union, what, what Putin would like to be again. Like when you had, for example, a conversation with uh, Daryl Cooper from Martyr Maid, what was your read on uh, that smarter but very different kind of approach on the situation? What's your read on like what that percentage of uh, the population that's represented by that kind of approach? Like, how did you feel about it? Was anything surprising about it? What was your take on it? See, um, with Daryl, and I do respect Daryl a lot. I mean, um, mm-hmm. I mean, we had we had. We we have a long history, the, the same as with you, right? But mm-hmm. I, I think he's made a lot of mistakes here. For for me, and I remember one phrase that he said in that conversation very clearly, he said that he refused to believe that Russia could be lying so much about everything. <laughs> wow. That's... That is the basic thing that they actually do. It's written in the Putin's way of thought. Right. And and it's it's if, if you refuse to believe these basic things, then Oh yeah, why? I mean, that seemed like pretty basic. That is like, well, I mean. First, that's what governments everywhere do. Second, Putin has a history of it. Like, I, I, I don't quite get it. Like, why do you think anybody would refuse to believe it? So it was a weird situation where Darrell defended the position that, you know, American government is evil and they lie all the time. But then when I asked him, well, look at Putin. Do you think Putin's like any better or something? I think I think he's worse. Then he kind of quickly evaded the answer and went away from that. I don't know. Hmm. I think I think it's kind of a... Like you said, maybe it's the culture of kind of sort of misanthropy setting in. Uh, a lot of people, you know, h- hate America because of all the. Like I said, there are problematic elements in your culture. Sure. Again, they just they just they just believe some sort of fundamentally different different reading of of the data. I suppose it's it's mm-hmm. just something like this. But I what I what I believe is that well. You can't you can't go yelling at, at, at those people anyways. You you have to be patient and calm because once you once you start yelling, even I, I once you start yelling, once you once you raise your voice, once you become irrational yourself, you lose all, all credibility. Right, I, right. I do believe that if, if someone is just sprouting nonsense, then the the best way is just to sit down, provide facts, provide arguments. And if, if he yells at you and doesn't understand, repeat the process. Sure, it takes a lot of patience, but eventually, you know, you can get through to everyone. And and that is that is what I try to do on my show. Because, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a weird thing. And one thing that I can tell you as a journalist is that, you know, I, I saw a lot of journalists from, from other countries and, and two moments struck into my head. See, I was in Bucha and Irpin as soon as they, the Russians had left them. I was there when the bodies were uncovered and, and did, uh, did stuff there. And a lot of people from the, from the Western media and also how they portray it is like they, they they couldn't speak Russian. They had their interpreters there. But a lot of people just took pictures of like stray animals there because they looked cute. And it's mm-hmm. kind of weird the, the way how Western journalists on the ground also portray this. Not all of them, right. but some. They try to sensationalize it. And that, I think, is unfair and make and gives more ammo to people who, you know, believe that the media is lying because they, they also... You know they're obliged to make things with highest amounts of clicks, and so their, their, their stuff might might not be that accurate. And then there are journalists like there are two Australian two Australian ladies in Ukraine uh, whom I've seen a couple of times because they as they're from Australia. You know I'm I'm from Latvia. That's not that far from Ukraine, so I can 
go there for, for like a, a month or so and then come back home. They're just living there for all this event of the war. And every time I've yep. seen them, they work for the, some Australian TV station because they drive all everywhere where I went. Yep. They, they always wore high heel shoes with impeccable makeup, with, with perfect, perfect things. And I asked them why. And, you know, I thought, I thought they would be like, you know, just showing off. But no, no, no. They, they responded in a very manner that, that, that struck me a lot because they said, well, that's, that's, that's our path to normalcy. I mean, that is the one thing that we can organize. If you organize yourself every morning by putting on this makeup and dressing up and looking as nice as you no. can, how, how else are you going to keep your sanity you know, and, and how else are you going to keep working in such conditions? That was, that, was, that was fair enough and respectable. A lot of stuff that happens there also doesn't, doesn't, make, doesn't, make, uh, doesn't make it into Western media. Like there was one story that, that really made me, you know, finally feel everything because I have contacts there on the ground, you know, in the, the units. And I, I just called them up. I called them up occasionally and asked them well, what's going on and what's happening. And they told me two stories, which, which really shook me a bit. And uh, yeah, oh, this is drunken Taoist. I bet your audience can take some, some serious hardcore stuff. I, I, I believe so. Do tell. One, one, one story was that um, they... Um, when, when the drones attacked, the, the Ukrainians used the drones to drop grenades and, and, and the stuff. And when the mobilized arrived, they have also the scout drones. And turns out that they had like a, a, a separated trench of Russians over there who had, were manning a machine gun. So in one of the assaults, they dropped a grenade in there and they were just scouting the position, seeing if another unit comes in, you know, tactical operations. And they were shocked, them, they were shocked themselves because no one came for those guys from the Russian side at all. Russian side just ignored the wounded for three days until they died from like dehydration and, and, and loss of blood. Like wow. they, they can't go there and pick them up and because the, because they tried and then the, then those guys who go went because they couldn't take it. It was in hearing range and you have like these moans of the people there, and they tried yeah. to send. And after after a while, after the Russians just completely ignored their own people who they knew were mobilized because they were just making mistakes. And they decided, well, they're just mobilized guys. They probably don't want to be here. And they tried to go and help them. And they were just stopped by artillery fire of Russian mm -hmm. artillery fire until those guys just finally stopped existing. And because of all this, and because of the mobilization, another story which really made me think a lot was apparently, you know, a lot of these men in Russia, they're, they're, a lot of them don't want to go to war. So now they're being literally uh, hunted for in workplaces and arrested on the streets and just dragged to these centers. And, and, and one of these kids, he was like 19 years old, because he had just served his mandatory year in the Russian army because he didn't manage to get into college. And then just after like two weeks, he returns home. Then after two, we after two weeks, he's mobilized into this war. And he had wow. managed to you know call back home and tell, him, tell, tell the family where he is. And so his dad somehow through Georgia and Armenia managed to go to Ukraine and and because he wanted to basically uh, smuggle his kid out but uh, yeah. he arrived turned out that his, his kid had died he went to mm -hmm. the Russian side and asked where the kid is and he, they just told him to sod off and then he while crying went to the Ukrainian side and then they managed to find his kid his remains that is and uh, well I um, yeah I don't I won't post this picture on the internet but like I've seen a video where this this guy is just carrying his his 19 year old dead son in his arms, and the son's arms are stuffed in his backpack because those were torn off, and he just has to carry them. Yeah, I, I'm sorry, I live with this kind of shit. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah, and yeah. that's the part of the war that, um, yeah, you know, I, I for right now I believe that that only, that only people who haven't seen war can glorify it, and yeah, I, have yeah. I have seen war. Fuck that of shit. Course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. How I, old are you? 
33. Oh, man. Yeah, no, I mean, it's like the stuff you have seen. That's why, in fact, it's very interesting to hear your take on all of this. Because, of course, your experience on the ground, having seen, you know, having felt the bombs dropping around, it's a completely different take. From That's why I would rather hear from you on this issue than anybody else. Because it's like, what else is somebody who's living across the globe going to tell you about it? You know, what they read in media, what they, it's not the same thing. That's why... I thank you so much for coming on to the show and uh, testifying your experience on all of this because this truly is not something that you can get anywhere else but from people who have been on the ground. So in that scenario, for anybody who's interested in finding out more, never mind, in fact, that anybody was interested in the history and everything else, what you used to focus on more earlier in the podcast, but for anybody even who's interested in the contemporary events, Eastern border is the way to go if you want to find out about that part of the world, for sure. Well, well, well thank you, because, again, I try to... Sounds stupid, but I, I, I decided to become a journalist because I um, I read this comic book, uh, Transmetropolitan. The lead uh-huh. hero there is Spider Jerusalem. He's uh, kind of a, a journalist in the future dystopian cyberpunk New York, and that was my inspiration. So, you know, <laughs> I, I actually I actually try to be a decent, decent journalist, and I... I don't believe that, you know, th- things should be portrayed as they are. And once again, like I mentioned at the beginning, sadly, I believe that this whole war thing is just the beginning. Maybe we should at least try to prepare for it. And thanks for having me on the show. It was a nice way to, to talk about this and, and everything. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. So beautiful. Fantastic. I had no idea I had to worry about independent Kazakhstan and what that's going to cause. Right. There's going to be a whole Who's range going to fight of, for that? Uh, yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. The, um, this was just fascinating. Thank you so much. Yeah, this was awesome. Funky music means one thing. That's the end of another fine episode of the Drunken Podcast. The insidious greed deep in the heart of Russia. Yeah, I mean, was it's, almost impressive. It's everywhere, right? But nothing more terrifying than the fact that he can't imagine the crazy evangelicals we have here. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. Well, and I think that's one of the things. Anytime you are used to one particular brand of evil then you're like, that is evil, right? And he's like, no, no, there are flavors to it that are different. (laughs) (laughs) And just because uh, one kind doesn't necessarily like the other doesn't mean they are good people. And um, yeah, it's trippy. Far from it. Yeah, indeed. Cool. Well, that's, that's all we got for today. Yes. You sweet folks have a great day. One day the rod shall teach you. O-L-E-L-L-I. Good shit. R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N and the numeral one. And so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Dallas Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. 
We'll be tweeting you as they come out. You can keep track of Daniele at dbolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at Richimon1. R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N and the numeral one. We'll see you all soon. Woo! All right, let's go to rehearsal. We're rolling this one. Oh.